do want to talk to you about the resurrection of Jesus. Very excited what God has done through sending his son into the world. And God, by raising Jesus, has given a loud declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. It's wonderful we can do that now because we're joined to Jesus forever and ever. Um, this world is filled with a lot of suffering. It's filled with a lot of pain. There seems to be a rise in a lot of what we call modern, modern atheism today. And, and, um, it's, it's more of an agnostic approach to, uh, creation and God. And, you know, that God is distant. How could a loving God with all power allow such suffering to go on in the world? And therefore they're trying to, uh, just bring people out of a relationship with God and out of faith and, and so forth. One of the remarkable things about the testimony of Christianity is the fact that God was not just aware of our suffering, but he entered into our suffering. And the evidence that God loves you is not the measure by which you suffer. And it's not the fact that you suffer or you don't suffer. That's not the measure of God's love for you. The, the measure of God's love for you is how he suffered for you. And how he gave his life for you. And that is the testimony of Christianity. He did what no other religion even professes that it's God would do. But Jesus Christ has come into the world declaring himself to be God. And that he has done just that. He has entered into our suffering. He took it upon himself. He felt it. He felt the pain. The rejection. He felt the abuse. The ridicule. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be scorned and mocked and spit upon. Even after he spent his whole life doing things that were good for people. But God came to us and Jesus Christ died for us. And he entered into our suffering so that we could have a future without suffering. He entered into our suffering and became a part of it so that we could live in a world where there was no suffering. No sorrow, no pain, no death, no tears. He entered into our hell so we could enter into his heaven. He faced our enemies so that we could face his father. He bore our sorrows so that we could live in his joy. He was wounded so we could be healed. He carried our sins so that we could carry his glory. He died so that we would never die. How incomparable is Jesus to every other man or every other movement that has ever marched across the scene of human history. There's nobody like Jesus. Being loved by Jesus is the greatest experience that anybody could ever have in their life. Not going to church and not becoming religious and not becoming a Christian, but being loved by Jesus is the greatest experience anybody could ever have. It's the richest, it's the most liberating and rapturous love that you will ever experience. There's nothing like it. There's no one like Jesus. Our hope of heaven is Jesus Christ. Our companion on earth is Jesus Christ. And the fact that he will never leave us and never forsake us gives our hearts great joy. And we don't have to allow our hearts to be troubled because Jesus has assured us that I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And so not only is Jesus with us in this spiritual sense, in this quite mystical sense that we by faith appropriate his presence, but we also have the assurance that we're going to live forever face to face with Jesus Christ. And we're going to see his father and be presented before his father we're not left to chance. We're not left to the chance of a pandemic. We're not left to the chance of a madman. We're not left to the chance of some nation going rogue and changing the whole dynamics of the future. We don't have to sit in darkness or live in fear or suffer in depression because God loves me. God loves you. And he came to us and he demonstrated that love. There are over 4,200 world religions, but there's only one empty tomb. There are many men who have searched for everlasting life, but there's only one man who conquered sin, death, and hell forever. There are many men who wanted to be God, but there is only one God who became a man. There are many voices in the world, but there's only one word. There are many ways that men would tell you to get to God or nirvana or heaven, but there is only one name. To which every knee in heaven, earth, and hell is going to bow. And that is to Jesus Christ. 
He still lives. He still affects the world. He still affects your life. He still affects our futures. Today, people continue to battle Jesus and they battle his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest threat to Islam. It's the greatest threat to universities and businesses and professors and ethics and global politics and science and evolution. The greatest threat of all is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you go and live your life for Jesus in this world and skeptics raise their questions about suffering. Professors and science and educated people raise their questions about atheism and evolution. Bring them back quickly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That event is the loud declaration of God. That is where God shouted and all of the world heard. And it cannot be ignored. This is an event that has shaken the world. It has shaken humanity. It has shaken the way we date things. The leaven of God's kingdom has occurred and it's going to fill the earth one day. And the glory of God is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. There is a play written, I'm not quite sure how you say the name of it, Salome, something like that. But in one of the scenes, as I remember it, it, it comes across where somebody reports to Herod that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And Herod responds, I do not wish him to do that. I forbid him to do that. I will not allow a man to be raised from the dead. And that is what a lot of our theologians and professors and science are saying today. I don't like it that Jesus has been raised from the dead. I don't want to allow that. And so Herod says, where is the man? To which it was responded, he's in every place, but he's hard to find. He's everywhere, but he's hard to find. The Roman cross meant to destroy the hope of any other kingdom rising up. The Roman cross meant that Rome rules this place and Satan rules Rome. And if you get in the way of our kingdom, we will obliterate you. That's what a Roman cross meant. Nobody carrying a cross in Rome was coming back alive. And Jesus Christ would certainly lay his life down in death. And when Jesus Christ died, there was a ripple and a, a shockwave that ran through all of his disciples. They were afraid. They were fearful. They went and hid in a locked room as they watched this man they had just given three years of their life for, believing he was the one. And then after his crucifixion, about the only conclusion that they came to was that we backed the wrong man. They were confused. They were scared. Our execution is obviously next. And in terror, they tried to hide, hoping with a little bit of luck they would escape for their own lives. It was the desire of the world then to get rid of Jesus Christ. The judgment of the world, of demons, and of the people, and of the Jews was make him go away. We don't want him around. And that's what they want to do with Jesus today. Make him go away. Don't preach to me about Jesus. Don't bring this accountability of this person into my life. We can talk about Christianity, but this person of Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is, he continues. He stays around. He's not going anywhere. He bought this world with his blood. He bought you with his blood this is his. The kingdoms of this world are his. Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah chapter 9 that the government shall be upon his shoulders and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he said, now is the God of this world cast out. And Jesus went to the cross and on the cross and in the cross and there at the cross, he destroyed principalities and powers and made an open show of them, a public spectacle of them. When Jesus was a baby born in a Bethlehem manger, the devil could not beat him then. And with both his hands nailed to a cross, the devil couldn't beat him there either. And the devil can never beat Jesus Christ and the world cannot get rid of him. And Jesus has laid claim to the world and he has left a deposit in the world. And that is a spirit-filled church. 
that continues to declare the testimony of Jesus' resurrection. And that one day Jesus will return to earth to claim all jurisdictions of this world. Every nation, every government, every king, every prince, every queen, every ruler, every demagogue ruler is going to bow at the feet of Jesus Christ as he establishes his throne and nobody will rival him. Everyone will submit to him. The disciples living in fear and terror for their life, not understanding what has happened, were given a glorious answer by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we're going to read right now in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to begin with me in verse 4, and we're going to go through this chapter this morning just a little bit. But this verse 4 just simply says, as part of the gospel, that Jesus was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus didn't die according to Rome, and he didn't die according to the Jews, and he didn't die according to Satan, and he didn't die according to men. He died according to the scriptures. It was the Father's good pleasure to put him to death because the Father saw his soul as an offering for sin, and he saw us, even us today, 2,000 years later, who would be believing in Jesus Christ. Thursday night, I had the wonderful privilege to preach in a camp meeting in Russellville or Atkins, Arkansas. And at the end of that, I compelled the young people in there to take a stand for the Lamb of God and to be a follower of the Lamb and to be filled with the Spirit of God and quit with the charade of the Christian religion. Because our world is going to hell before our eyes and our cliches and our formalities and our traditions are not cutting it. We need a real baptism of the Holy Spirit and a real witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at least 40 children rushed that altar being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. God is doing something in our young people today. Because what is going on is according to the scriptures. It's not according to the dictates of man or the dictates of government or the dictates of the United States of America. But what is happening is the predetermined will and plan of God the Father that he is going to glorify God the Son and he will enthrone him on David's throne. And from Jerusalem, Jesus shall reign over the kingdoms of this earth. You're not done with Jesus, earth. You're not done with him. He's coming back. He's coming back to rule. He's coming back to reign. Not as a baby in a manger, but as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what's written across his vesture as he returns. And then the Bible says in verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And I want you to notice this very carefully. Please read this with me in your Bibles. It says, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. There is an order in the resurrection. There is something happening. And I want you to understand that. Jesus is the first fruits. There's more fruit coming. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. All you have to do to die and go to hell is to be born. That's it. But to go to heaven, all you have to do is be born again. All you have to do is to be born of man, to become a sinner. And all you have to do is to be born again, to become a saint. It's the work of God. It's the life of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel of grace. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All shall be. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. Some people may wonder, and I'll come back to this in a moment. Some people may wonder, how can you say that Jesus is Lord and he rules in the world? 
Well, there's so much chaos because there's an order to it. It's according to the scriptures. It's not according to your dictator mind. It's not according to our timetable or our will. But it will happen just as sure as a virgin conceived and bore a son. And they called his name Jesus Christ. And he lived a sinless life. And he walked on the water. And he calmed the winds and the storms. And caused the lame to walk and the blind to see and the dead to live. And went to a cross and gave his life. And the third day he was raised again from the dead and ascended into heaven. He is returned. Just like he did it in his first coming, he will do it in his second coming. Bless God, he is. And so the end is coming in verse 24, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, speaking of the Father, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. I want you to think of this for just a moment. This is the reason... Well, I believe in the future of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the future of Jesus. If you're in Jesus, then this is your future as well. But this is why I believe in a future with Jesus Christ. Because if he's not raised, we're still in our sins. And everybody that has gone before us hoping in Jesus Christ that has died, they have perished and there is no hope for them. But now is Christ raised from the dead. He is risen. And therefore we're not wasting our life by serving Jesus Christ. And though it does not appear what we shall be, it does not appear what this world shall be. But this world shall change by the power and the glory of God. Just as sure as there was a resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a transformation of the earth and the cosmos because of the glorious power of the resurrection of Jesus. I believe in a renewed earth and a renewed heaven because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that God has begun that new creation By the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is the first fruits. I believe the resurrection is the testimony that it has all begun. It is underway and the devil knows it and he is terrified of the coming kingdom of God. Paul believed that God would do for the cosmos what he did for Jesus in the resurrection. I want to read this to you in Romans chapter 8 and we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's the only passage we're going to turn to this morning, but in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, speaking about many things in the creation, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. How many of you are hoping for a better body? (laughs) How many of you are hoping for streets of gold? How many of you are hoping to see Jesus Christ face to face? How many of you are hoping for the day when the lion lays down with the lamb? How many of you are hoping for the day when there's no more curse, there's no more thorns, there's no more destruction on this planet? We're hoping for that because we are waiting for it to come. It has not come yet. But the fact that it has not come yet does not take away from us the certainty that it is going to come. And Paul is alluding to the fact that just as sure as those who are believers who are waiting for the transformation of their earthly bodies, for this mortal must put on immortality and this corruption must put on incorruption, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, resurrected, this cosmic world, this universe is going to be transformed by the power of God because right now it is under a curse and it is suffering from that curse and all of creation is groaning underneath it waiting for its redemption as you are waiting for yours. And it's going to happen. 
There's going to be a different type of world than the one that we see now. God is not through with creation. He's not going to throw away what he started. No, he has redeemed it and he will fill it with all of his glory. He made heaven and earth and he is going to join them both together. For John said in Revelation 21 that I saw the new Jerusalem, a city in heaven, come out of heaven from God. And it was relocated to earth. And God would live in that city. And the kings of the earth would come into that city and bring their glory into it. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a connection between the throne of God and the footstool of God. God's throne be in heaven and his footstool be in earth as Solomon called it to be. God is not through with this earth. He is not through with what he began in the book of Genesis. He is going to fill this earth with his glory. It is going to have his fingerprint of redemption all over it. The earth will not remain corrupt. It will be totally different. The sun will be different. The moon will be different. Geography will be different. The rivers and the hills, the animals and the birds, the people and the activity upon this earth will be different than it is now. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. All things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Creation is going to be transformed through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Space, time and matter are going to be redeemed. God is not going to project an eternal future in that which is without space, time, and matter. God created heaven not so he would have a place to live, but we would have a place to live. God was not born in heaven. He was not raised in heaven. God was eternally existent in his perfect nature. He's never grown up. He's never learned anything. He's never become more strong than he is now. He's never known more than he knows now. He's never learned that. He's never been educated. God has been perfect in all of his ways. He is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. God never needed a heaven. He never needed a new Jerusalem. He never needed streets of gold. He never needed the sun or the moon. He made that for us. And God fully intends for us to be human throughout all of our eternity. And as Jesus has a flesh and bone body, we're going to have a flesh and bone body. We're going to live in space time. We're going to live in this, this creation of God, but it's going to be renewed and so different than it is now. And what's so unique about the resurrection of Jesus? In 1 Corinthians 15, if you will, verse 40, he says this, and he also speaks about it in context of creation. And he says in verse 40, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. And so it was written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, speaking of Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that... Was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Adam first came, then Jesus would come. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man, Adam, is of the earth. He's earthy. The second man, Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And bless God, verse 49. As we have borne the image of the earthy. With all of its corruptions and pain and sickness and trials and turmoil, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly, the image of Jesus Christ, for flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what's so unique about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? For others were most assuredly raised from the dead. We know that Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. We know that the young boy in the city of Nain was raised from the dead as they were taking him out in his coffin to bury him. We know that Lazarus was raised from the dead. So what is so unique about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I mean, for many people have been raised from the dead, but nobody was raised like him. 
He was the first fruits of those that were raised from the dead. He wasn't the first to ever be raised from the dead. He was the first to be resurrected from the dead in a glorified body. For until that moment when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross with a flesh and blood body. And it was through the pouring out of his blood that his blood was able to make atonement for our sins. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, when Jairus was raised from the dead, when the boy from Nain was raised from the dead, when those in the Old Testament were raised from the dead, they were raised from the dead back to flesh and blood bodies to die again. But when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised in a glorified body of flesh and bone, never to die again, never to suffer again, never to be in subjection to men, no type of that ever again. He was raised in glory. And the Bible says we shall be given a body like his the new creation is underway it's underway by the resurrection of Jesus Christ the new creation has begun the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a demonstration that Jesus has power over the grave but it is the explosive turning point for everything else that's going to come For I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Out of heaven from God. The dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself shall be with them. And be their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. Nor crying. Nor pain. Anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who sat upon the throne said. Behold. I am making all things new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. It is done. Nothing is going to stop it. Nothing is going to stop the glory of God in this earth. And the return, the mighty return of Jesus Christ. Something powerful happened to those disciples as they were locked up in a room fearing for their lives. And what happened to them was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They looked at a man. Who had the wounds in his hands and in his side. Something happened to Thomas when he put his finger through the nail holes. And he thrust his fist through the side of Jesus where they had speared him. Something happened to to Peter on the shore after the resurrection when Jesus was cooking dinner for them. And it was the resurrection that transformed their lives. And the Holy Spirit that came upon them with power to make them witnesses of this very resurrection. The power of the Holy Spirit that we desperately need today. To deal with the culture that we're having to deal with in this day. So what is the mission of the church? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, what is the mission? Out of the upper room came 120 spirit-filled believers. Evidencing indisputably the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had no one else to talk about. They spoke of nothing else. They had no techniques. They had no gimmicks. All they had was the fact that he who was dead is alive and we've seen him and we've touched him and his spirit has now come upon us. 3,000 people repent. A few days later, 5,000 people repent. And they give their hearts to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven is being built. The resurrection is what happened to them. They believed that Jesus Christ actually did have all authority in heaven and on earth. They believed that. They actually went everywhere to tell people that. They were no longer afraid of death. Why would they be afraid of death? They looked at the one who died and was alive again. They saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. So why should we fear? What can Rome do with us? What can the Jews do with us now? They actually believed in this authority of Jesus Christ. And this small group of men and women would begin to canvas the Roman countryside, declaring the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of God's kingdom. 
Because they believed in the authority of Jesus. They would defy the demon gods of the Romans. Even to their death, they would defy these gods. And happily, they would die. Nero would wrap them in the animal skins. And at night, he would light them on fire. As others were fed to the lions. And the Christians that were lit on fire were told as they were burning and smoking from their skin. They were clapping their hands saying, worthy, worthy is the lamb. What can you do to a people who do not fear death? Oh, but how many people fear death today? Because the reality of a resurrected Jesus seems so far from them. And what on earth could justify a declaration from us as the church of Jesus Christ that Jesus reigns and Jesus is Lord? What on earth can justify that declaration? What student is going to go into the university? And stand up in front of his classroom with smart professors and intellectuals and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has all authority in heaven and earth. Because where are you going to point on this planet where it looks like Jesus has that? So how do you vindicate that claim? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how we vindicate that claim. The resurrection speaks for itself. And you will see. And God will demonstrate exactly what is going to take place. That group of people went out into the world. Like Jesus went into the world to minister. This is said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He, listen, Paul said this. I want you to understand it. There's a reason we Christians suffer. It is so that the life of Jesus that's in us can come out. So we go into a world that is hostile. We go into a world that is suffering. We go into a world where there is pain and where there is heartache and confusion. We go into a world filled with mockery. And we go into that world vulnerable and suffering and praising God and praying and misunderstood and misjudged. But vindicated by God and celebrating our whole way to heaven. Rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Give thanks always for all things. That's what makes you a peculiar people. And why are you so peculiar? The resurrection. The resurrection. That's why we're peculiar. Something happened. Something began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's not about suffering. It's about payday. For if suffering was all there was to it, then we might despair more than men. But it's payday. The reward. And what justifies payday? The resurrection. And again, I want you to read this with me in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. If you don't have hope in Jesus for the next life. You shouldn't try to live this life. You will be a miserable person. But people that live for Jesus and they have hope of the next life, they're joyful, they're happy, they're victorious, they're tried, they're afflicted. Like everyone else, they suffer. But payday's coming. And then he says this in verse 30. Why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. If after the manner of men I have fought with the beast of Ephesus, why does that advantage me if the dead don't rise? If the dead do not rise, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But if the dead do rise, then the pleasure of this world does not compare to the pleasure of that one. That's what Jesus' death taught us. There's a better world. There's a better life. Verse 55, it says this, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All this talk about victory. All this talk about triumph and, and, and yet he's dying every day with the beast of Ephesus and he's suffering hardship and pain because of the resurrection. 
And because of her resurrection, Paul does not admonish the believers at Corinth. Hey, find a hiding place and live like a monk. Find a hole. Find a cave. Don't upset anybody. Don't offend the city. Don't offend Corinth. Don't offend Rome. Don't offend the Jews. Don't do anything like that. And just wait for your death and then you'll go to be with Jesus in heaven. No, no, no. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, don't let up because they, because they hate you. Don't, don't let up because they're going to reject Jesus. Don't let up because they're going to misunderstand you or mock you or maybe persecute you or maybe fine you or maybe even kill you. Don't let up because of that. There is a resurrection, beloved, and rewards are coming. So be steadfast, be unmovable, abound in the work of the Lord. Our labor is not in vain, but you have to know this. Our present bodily life and sufferings in this world, our battles in this world are not without value. They're not without value. You have to understand this. Just because we are going to die does not mean that what we've done in the earth dies. God will raise it up like he's going to raise you up. What you do with your body today matters tomorrow and affects not only the kingdom of God, but the kingdoms of this world. Preaching, praying, singing, teaching. Building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, painting, taking pictures, tithing. Whatever you do for the kingdom in this life will be rewarded by the king in that life. Be steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. You have no clue what your life is producing in the eternal picture of God's kingdom. But Jesus has assured us that it is. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Paul even referred to rewards when we get to heaven. God has not assigned you to carnal and temporal tasks so that you can try to somewhat pass your time in this corrupt world. Maybe making a little difference here and there as you're going through it. You're not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to go over the cliff. You are not fixing a painting that's about to be burned up. You are investing in a kingdom that is eternal and that is full of glory. Though it is so hard to believe. And it is as supernatural as a resurrection. God's going to take your now into his future. Have a now. Because of the resurrection, have a now. This is not it, but it's preparing for it. Every act of love, of gratitude, missions, tithes, prayers, service, inspired by the love of God and the Holy Spirit, will continue. Every moment that you spend caring for the handicapped, the needy, showing the rich the way, working in this sports camp in the summer, It matters in the kingdom of God. History shows that Christianity has made the most powerful and profound impact upon the civilizations of the earth. Wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ went, the demi-demon gods that ruled the people were banished. The culture, the demonization of the people, the brutal, demonic worship of the people and the Germanic tribes... And the uncivilized people who take the beating hearts out of their people to offer them to their gods were banished when the gospel came there. The abuse of women, the disrespect of women, and the abuse of children was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Slavery was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ as it declared we're all created in the image of God. Christianity has gone across the face of this world with great power. Testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. The church has decried slavery, injustice, the abuse of kids, the mistreatment of women everywhere it's gone. And so this is the life and the ministry of the church and it's what we must be about. Church life has to be the outpost of the kingdom of God until the king comes. I know we're going to be raptured. And I know there's going to be a tribulation period on the earth. But beloved, the king is coming and what you do in this life will affect the people in that tribulation in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. So listen to me carefully. If Jesus Christ was raised with a glorified body and Jesus Christ's resurrection is the loud testimony of God that all things shall be made new, 
And that Jesus Christ is indeed King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee will bow to him and he will return to reign upon this earth. And the glory of God will fill the world like the waters cover the sea. If these things are true, then the testimony of the church. Everything we are and everything that we are about. Should be a testimony to the nations of this world. To creation and to the cosmos. This is a taste of what the kingdom will be. And that's the ministry of the church. Not division. Not gossip. Not unforgiveness. Not hatred. Not walking on eggshells. Not defeat. Not depression. Not sickness. Not despair. Not abuse. Not loneliness. But family and body and love and togetherness and forgiveness and mercy and grace and truth and victory and power is the testimony of the kingdom that's coming. And if it was ever demonstrated in the world, it should be seen in the church of Jesus Christ. We need to change the way we live, change the way we worship, change the way we think, change the way we go to church, change the way we read our Bibles, change the way we sing to God, change the way that we relate to one another as just people of a congregation and begin to realize I'm a part of a body that represents an eternal kingdom. And I want the world to see what that kingdom's going to look like when it comes to earth. And dear God, let First New Testament be a picture of that. Let it be a picture of that. This is so important for us to understand. For the church is the witness of the coming kingdom to all. Who are struggling in a defeated battle with despair and death. We are the new creations of God. Our life is to demonstrate how God will redeem all things. Sinners to saints. Death to life. Darkness to light. Enemies to friends of God. And the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what it's all about. To make us living testimonies of the day when God will transform the earth, filling it with his glory. It will be righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. No stealing. No lying. No cheating. No coveting. Church ought to look like that. Every desire within the heart of the born again will be unrestrained and fulfilled in that kingdom. Every joy, all love. All forgiveness, all friendships, all happiness, all justice is what that kingdom is going to be like. Everything you battle today, envy and pride, jealousy and lust and anger will not exist in that kingdom. It will all be put away. It needs to be put away in the church of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be floating around on clouds playing a harp for all of eternity For all of eternity, we're not going to be sitting around just singing and and doing that. We're going to be industrious. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. The greatest symphonies that you could ever imagine possible are going to be created and performed by new creatures, us in our glorified state and body. The greatest choirs and the greatest music you could ever imagine possible. The arts will be off the chart, filled with the glory of God. An absolute perfection from the people who know their God. The greatest engineering feats you could ever imagine possible are going to be fulfilled by the new creation. The greatest travel feats, the most sophisticated challenges and joys of development, absolute delight of every human sense, the greatest cities you've ever imagined constructed by perfect humans with the full exercises of their imaginations and brains. That's what we're going to be doing. The greatest food, the greatest festivities, the greatest parties you could ever imagine possible. Unsurpassed sunrises and sunsets, time travel, transported travel, being able to move through locked buildings and rooms. We're going to Jerusalem every week We live in the new Jerusalem, but the people on the earth every week going to Jerusalem to see the king. We must come up with some incredible inventions of travel to get the whole world every week going to see Jesus. That's what it says in the Bible. And every new moon and every Sabbath, 
the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the fact that he rose as a human with flesh and bone, speaks of the fact that we're going to live in a world that is created for humans and where God may dwell with men and we may dwell with God. Don't think of heaven as some non-material and earth as some non-spiritual because the humanity of our King, Jesus Christ, is fit for heaven and earth. And a new heaven and a new earth will kiss together and be joined together in God's eternal design. God will be the king of the whole world. And he will do this through his servants, us, and our glorified bodies. The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus is the story of God's kingdom being launched on earth as it is in heaven. I'm almost finished. Just listen to this. We're generating a new world in which the power of evil has been decisively defeated The new creation has been decisively launched and Jesus' followers are commissioned and equipped with the Holy Spirit to show and demonstrate that victory of the new world in countries and cities and places all over this earth right now. Engaging in the work of Jesus Christ demands that you are born of Jesus Christ and you're actually a member of his kingdom. You cannot do the work of the king if you're not a part of the kingdom. You must be born again. You must turn from the oppression of Satan. You must turn from your despair and turn from your depression. You must turn from the sin that is destroying you. You must turn from the skeletons that are in your closet that you keep going back to and you hope to God nobody on earth ever finds out about. Jesus invites you to repent of that. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you repent of death? Why wouldn't you repent of alcoholism? Why wouldn't you repent of pornography? Why wouldn't you repent of immorality? Haven't you had enough? Haven't you wished that you wouldn't have to do this anymore? Turn to the king and the king will deliver you. He will set you free. Why live in it when you don't have to live in it? Be kingdom minded. Live for the kingdom. Be awake. You claim to belong to God. Live like it. Demonstrate what the kingdom is going to look like when it comes to earth. And regardless of what anybody else does, you love You forgive, you be kind, you be tender-hearted, you live in the power of His grace, you live in the power of His Holy Spirit, and if the whole world attacks you, then you yourself be a demonstration. In some way, this is what it's going to look like when He comes back. Maybe somebody will want to know the King that you met. Maybe somebody. Don't just worship your God behind the walls of a church. But go forth as the ambassadors of this kingdom into the political chambers of our cities. Be a part of city planning. Affect the politicians in your area. Make a radical difference for Jesus Christ. Not by how you worship in your church only. But run a tutoring program for children. Hold after school programs. Run ESL classes. Embracing grace ministries that help women who find themselves in crisis pregnancy situations. Don't sit on your wallets and hoard what you've got if you believe in the resurrection and the coming of God's kingdom. Invest it in the work of God. Sow into it. And if you can't be a part of a crisis pregnancy ministry, then give to it so that we can help more and more women that are going through suffering and trials like that. Don't sit around and talk about the evils of our generation and our youth today and and not want to get involved in this, in this this program we're going to have in July. And if you can't actually do it because of work, contribute to it financially in prayer so that we can see a very successful ministry and reach our young people. If you believe in the resurrection, believe in it. Do it. Be a part of it. Our American dollar may burn up a lot faster than we think. Jesus needs to be our king. His kingdom needs to be what we live by. People who feast at Jesus' table work in Jesus' fields. They're the ones on the front line eliminating to the best of their ability hunger and famine and fear and despair. The gifts of the Spirit push the believer to care for the broken, the addicted, the tormented, and the castaway. Do you feel that push of the Spirit in your life? We are to be John the Baptist decrying injustice in our land. We are to win souls and demonstrate the kingdom of God on earth. The church is otherworldly. It is supernatural. It always has been and it always will be. And anything that does not represent the supernatural in the church to that degree 
The world cannot see what the kingdom of Jesus is going to look like when it comes to earth. And I want them to see it. We only have a short time. The earth is about, the church is about to be taken out for about seven years. Our time is short. Night has not come. It's still the day. We can still be a witness for Christ in this world. We can still show them what our king is like and how beautiful our king is. Beloved, love one another. Go to church and have fun. Go to the Father's house and have fun. Go to church and love on each other. Sing with fun. Dance before the Lord. Rejoice and shout. It's great to dance at weddings. It's, da- it's great to dance at parties. But dance for your king. Serve your king. Love your king. Give to your king. He's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. That changes everything. It changes why I live and what I live for. I live for him. He's coming. Would you stand with me? The new creation of God has begun. Jesus is the first fruits and there's an order. I don't know how much time we have. But I do believe Jesus is worthy. For this generation to see how glorious he is. Father we love you and we honor you this morning. And we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you Lord that you are king of kings and you are lord of lords. And I pray, God, with all of my heart that you give us a revelation by the Holy Spirit of how the resurrection makes a difference on how we live every day of our life. Lord, if the dead are not raised, then we should eat and drink and be merry. Lord, that's the way many Christians are living their life. But Lord, if the dead are raised, we should be steadfast, unmovable, abounding, in the work of the Lord. So Lord, what we plead for this morning is grace. The help of the Holy Spirit. The disciples knew you were alive. They became witnesses when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were given power. How many of you desire this power? In the face of this culture today. God will give you this power. God will give you this revelation. You got to see it. You got to know. And I just want to ask you if you draw near in this altar with me. And that we could just stand here. Because you know what? Maybe this is our last year. That we have on earth to witness the resurrection of Jesus. Don't you want him to have a glorious witness? Would you present yourself to him this morning? Present yourself. I want to believe in the resurrection. I want to believe in the resurrection by the Holy Spirit. I want to be convinced of the resurrection by the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to move me to be kingdom minded. To live for the kingdom. To live for the glory of the King. To believe that what I do here on earth will matter in my future. That we're not insignificant. And we're not just trying to find a few little things to do to maybe help a few people along the way. But over the course of history, Lord, your church has changed civilization. It's changed countries and empires. It has brought the defeat and the fall of false gods. And it has set millions and billions of people free from darkness and suicide and depression and abuse Lord our generation needs that our people do need that Lord those that are caught up in the woke movement or the trans movement or just atheism or agnosticism or just lost oh God the people in Christianity that are unhappy Lord they need that let our churches be a demonstration of your kingdom of your glory of your happiness Lord in this altar just lift your hands before the Lord let's just begin to pray for God to visit us begin to pray for him to visit us come on you just want God I just want you Lord Lord I just desire your power to be upon my life that there would be miracles through my life and healing through my life God that I could demonstrate your kingdom your power God what you've sent us into the world to do 
on, just ask Him. Just begin to pray. Just lift up your voices and begin to pray.
today you need to lay at the feet of Jesus things that just hinder hinder you from going on with him you need to lay at his feet things that are hindering you from expressing what he is like and what his kingdom is like he's not going to rebuke you he's not going to crush you but he will help you he will give you grace maybe you need help with forgiveness Maybe you need help getting past bitterness. Maybe you're so wounded. There's so many deep scars in your life from the way you've been treated in your life and the shame and the pain that you have walked through in life. Jesus Christ, King of Kings, He can walk you through that. He can set you free. He can clean.